I've still been excited about this series on the Ten Commandments. If we were to look at it from the 5,000 foot view, we looked at it from the standpoint of Jesus Christ combining all Ten Commandments in two. The first four summarized with love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and might. And the second would be to love your neighbor, which would encompass the last six. That's the 5,000 foot view. We've been trying to look at it from a 500 foot view, trying to look at the motive of each of these Ten Commandments. And we found out that we can be very legalistic in many senses and try to eliminate committing those crimes. But the best way to cut it off at the pass is to do it through the motivation of love. And a lot of times we can actually take legalistic steps to cease from committing it, but the fact that we've thought it has made us guilty in the eyes of God anyway, which just makes us need a savior all that much more. Uh, today I'd like to tackle the seventh and the eighth commandment. That's the one about adultery and stealing. Lord willing, what I'd like to do is, uh, I'm gonna look at these, I'm gonna take those out and, 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 and try to make you look at those commandments in a way that necessarily you haven't thought about it before. Let me give you kind of an off the wall thing. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Have you ever took vengeance? Whose is vengeance? It's the Lord's. What happens when you take it? You're a thief. You think, I don't think I like that stealing one. Lord willing, when we look at some of these commandments, I want to go a little bit further than the automatic pilot that we normally go into. So I want to look at some of these from some, some different standpoints. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew 15, talking about the heart. Jesus was talking with his disciples, and he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. And he's going to give them a little lesson. And after he gives them the lesson, Peter's going to say, I don't get it. Peter's going to say, I don't get it, Lord. Can you explain it to me? And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples, and it said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my, father, my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone, they that bind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto this, this parable. And Jesus says, are you also without understanding? So real quick, the Pharisees had these, all these set of rules. Don't touch this. Don't touch that. Don't taste this. Don't drink that. Wash here. Do this. And Jesus says, that's not what gets you. And the Pharisees didn't like it because their whole living was based on these rules. So they got upset. Still Matthew 15, verse 17, he's going to explain it to the disciples because the disciples still didn't get it. Do not ye understand that whatsoever enter into the mouth goeth into the belly, and it cast out into the draft. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. That's what's here. But notice what's after this. Does this sound familiar, what we've been studying the last couple of weeks? They defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. He's not talking about the legalistic thing. He's talking about what's going on in the heart. So we're talking about the Ten Commandments even at thinking it. 
Now, we're going to dive into adultery here in a second. And, and, and we at our house, we've got, um, we've got cable, and we've got the stream of some movies, and a lot of that stuff is offensive. And we got this service called VidAngel. I don't know if you ever heard it, but it's an application where you can run a movie through VidAngel. And you can type in there, I don't want to hear any, I don't want to hear any cussing. I don't want to see any vulgar, any nudity. I don't want to see certain, you know, certain kind of violence. I can do And then what they do is they do the program and the program and the movie comes at you in that five minutes of swearing and nudity and it's all just cut out. And you think, wow, I'm legal. I'm good. Y'all, your mind can still want and lust just as much for a clothed woman as an unclothed woman. So, so it's more than just doing these legal technicalities. And we try not to offend our eyes and our ears. We, we really try to do that with, with this software. It's a good software program. It's well worth the money. But you still got to watch yourself. You can still be guilty of thinking that even though you didn't view it. The only thing that's going to fix us is our heart. And we've got to work at that love motive as opposed to the legalism. Let me give you another verse. 1 Corinthians 6. This is a New Testament church. These are people that believed in Jesus, that got baptized, that are going to church. They read their, I want to say Bibles. They didn't have Bibles then. They had their scrolls. Notice what it says. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abuse themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous. We just hit four of the Ten Commandments in there. And the Bible is saying that some of these people used to practice this kind of behavior on a very regular basis. The drunkards, the revilers, the extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. No, it doesn't say enter heaven. It says the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is a full, rich relationship with Jesus while we're here on earth. And such were some of you. You know my favorite words in this? There's three buts. Buts have become my favorite words. B-U-T. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified. Well, how did you do that? You didn't. The Lord did it for you. You didn't have enough sense to do it to yourself. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord and by our, the Spirit of our God. So notice here's those things too. So we're going to look at these two commandments, two more. We're going to try to make you think of these commandments and maybe applications that you hadn't thought of before. And then we will try to see commandment number seven. Thou shall not commit adultery. Can a person commit adultery only? When a husband commits adultery, guess I've, we've talked about this before, but it's really hard just to commit one sin. You know, when you commit, when a, if a man were to commit adultery, a husband, number one, he broke an oath. When you got to your wedding vows, you broke an oath. You took the Lord's name in vain. When you commit adultery, you stole another man's wife. You took that which was not yours. My guess is when you committed adultery, you lied to your own wife. That is bearing false witness. When you, before you ever took her, 
and lusted after when you lusted after it, you coveted her, you broke number 10. And then when you had the relationships there, you finally committed the act of adultery. Y'all, adultery committed long before the physical act ever took place. How do you fix it? Well, the best way to do it is to be so in love with your spouse that you don't even think about another woman. And that's pretty hard because you got two sinners living under the same roof. But we keep on striving for it. Adultery is not only sexual sin under the seventh commandments umbrella. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on these. But there's fornication, which is consensual relationship between single individuals. There's a sodomy, which is consensual relations between same-sex individuals. Bestiality, relationship between a person and a beast. Rape, non-consensual relationship between individuals. Incest, relations between underage family or both. And you're thinking, wow, that's getting pretty nasty and wicked. And we read some of those things and we say, adultery, that's not too bad compared to those other things. God hates it. He absolutely hates it because there's something special about adultery that just cannot be undone. You know, when you go back and two become one, that is something special and holy to the Lord. And when you break that union, even though in the fornication or maybe some of the other sins, there is a union that's broken that is truly offensive to God in a special way that the other ones don't necessarily apply. I am not making light of any sin. I'm just trying to get us to a point where adultery is not that big of a deal in America compared to 100 years ago. 100 years ago, it was a shame. Not only was it a shame to the person that did it, it was a shame to the wife of the one that didn't do anything. It was a shame to the whole family. And now we think, ah, oh, it's not that big deal. Well, it is to God. Though the sins above are heinous, adultery is still a very serious matter in the odds of God. In Genesis 2.18, God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. This is the very first institution God created was a husband and wife. And when you commit adultery, what you're doing is undermining the very first institution God set up. Y'all, that's a big deal. Genesis 2.24, man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And when this particular sin is committed, it breaks that union. Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it. That command to be fruitful is between a husband and wife. The wedding bed is undefiled. Now, sometimes when you preach a message like that, you go, oh no, sexual relations, oh, that's kind of taboo. No, it's a beautiful thing when it's done God's way. God designed it. It's great. In marriage, outside, it's very destructive. You can go back to any society in the history of the world, to the Greeks and the Romans and all the way forward. As soon as they undermine the relationship between a husband and wife, that society, that culture goes right into the tubes. 14 for 14. America's not going to step up and say, oh no, it's going to be 14 out of 15. No, it'll be 15 out of 15. It's the core of God's design. So when this sin happens, it's a big deal. Matthew 19, 6, they are no more twain, but one flesh joined together, let not, not man put asunder. 
So in other words, when two people come together, it's not two people anymore, they became one flesh. And when this act is committed, they're being separated, or there's a third in there, and that's not God's design. And then finally, probably the most subtle offense to God is it mars Jesus Christ's testimony to the earth because he is the husband of the local church. And when our relationships don't reflect that, it's a stain on Jesus Christ's accomplished work and what he came to buy his bride and to pay for it and take it unto himself. Adultery is a big deal. Now, the truth be told, our hearts defile us even if... I just talked to you a little bit about VidAngel, but let's look at this first one. Now, if you have young kids or even if you have teenagers, I hope you have software that purges some of the stuff that comes through. And you may have the greatest software package that was ever written, and you could view quote-unquote clean stuff and still have mind racing. You can move to a deserted island by yourself without a single radio, without a single television, without internet, without a magazine, without a grocery store and all the magazines that are in the aisle, all that's gone and you can still commit adultery in your mind. How do we fix it? The heart. You know the verse in Matthew 5, 29 and 30, it says if your eyes offend you, pluck it out. And if your hand offend you, cut it off. You can pluck out your eyes and cut off your hands and still commit adultery. Those drugs, those chemicals, those hormones that are released, they burn images in your mind that never go away. And you plucked out your eyes, but it's still burned in your memory bank. We can still be guilty of it. No wonder why the Pharisees were so mad. Their system of religion was relatively easy. What I'm putting forth, of you, putting forth in front of you is, is really kind of hard, isn't it? And if you can do that and successfully do that, you will be living and being enjoying the rich fellowship in the kingdom of God. We cannot erase those mem- images because neural chemicals have burned them in our memory banks. And I, I forget them. I should have looked it up. I'm sorry. But there's, there's a chemical that's released when a baby is born. It, it, it goes into the mother, and the mother can look and see that baby and see just after birth it's released and she's got images and there's, 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 there's impact there and she can look at that picture of that baby being born and it's with her for the rest of the life. It, that's cool. God designed it that way. That's a good thing. What do they call it? What a little baby chick or duck sees its mama duck? What's it, imprinting? Is that what it's called? That's kind of what it's like. But did you know that same image is released to a 12-year-old that's looking on the internet that sees a picture of a scantily dressed girl? And that's there for the rest of the life too. Those drugs have been hijacked for a purpose other than God had. It's probably more science than you care want to know today. So the consequences of infidelity, both physical and emotional. Number one, it's on both spouses, the cheater and the cheated. There's guilt and shame when the act of adultery is done. It's on the children, the toddler, the teen, and also married children. It's it's, it's a destruction of trust and security. A terrible consequence on society. It's the bedrock of every civilization. It erodes. 
strength and values. And then finally, it's a stain on Christ in his church, in his testimony here. It's the hypocrisy of it. That's thou shall not commit adultery. Let's go to thou shall not steal. And actually, this is the one I found the toughest this week as I studied it. Because I found so many places it applied that I never really thought about it. I'm thinking, thou shalt not steal. Okay, I'm looking in my pocket and I want this pack of chewing gum. It's 25 cents and all I have is 22 cents. I'm just going to take it. That's stealing, right? Well, let's see what else is stealing. Now, there's two kinds of stealing. There's sins of commission. That's actually when you do an act. But there's also sins of omission. And that's when you don't do what you're supposed to do. And I'll give you examples of both. And you could be guilty of stealing in both cases. Number one, this one is commission. Those are the ones we're probably most familiar with. Taking of another. In Leviticus 19.13, it says, if you've got a guy working for you and you owe him some wages and you don't pay him, you've stole from him. We think, yeah, that makes sense. How about false weights and balances? Proverbs is full of this. Proverbs 11.1, 1, a false weight is an abomination of the Lord. Why is it an abomination of the Lord? Because you're stealing from the other guy. He's buying a pound of sugar or a pound of um, gunpowder, whatever he's buying, and you've got the weights off a little bit, and he's not getting 16 ounces. He's only getting 14 and a half. That's stealing. How about false advertising? Proverbs 10.2, that's stealing too. How about falsifying records? Moving the odometer back on a car. That's stealing. How about excessive usury? That's stealing too. But think about that vengeance one. Anything that doesn't belong to you, vengeance is mine. God says that's mine. And when you take vengeance, you've just stole it from God. Sins of omission. In the Old Testament, they had a system of workfare, not welfare. So if you were a farmer, you'd go through and you'd go glean everything from your field. And after you went through the first pass, God said, don't go through a second time. Matter of fact, be kind of um, loose on the corners and the edges of your field. Why? Well, that was his system to feed the poor. But what happens if you were that farmer and you did go through the second time? Or you did you know, harvest all the grain or the corn or the grapes or whatever it was in the corners. You know what? You'd be stealing. But I'm not stealing. That's my property. That's my crop. No, that's God's. And to go through a second time would be stealing. How about muzzling the ox? First Timothy 5.18, the laborer is worthy of, worthy of his reward. If you don't pay the preacher, you're stealing. Ooh, wait a second. Our people have not in this, and I don't care what our people are doing. I care what God says. You're stealing from God because you're stealing a husband from a wife. You're stealing a father from children. Now, I know there's churches, and you do the best you can, and if you're doing the best that you can, so be it. But if you have the ability to do it and you don't, you're stealing. Haggai 1.4, there's a case where God's building fell into disrepair. And basically what God said, he says, you know what? You know, there's, there's, there's a little bit of need that goes on at your home. You're taking care of your home. But the need and the repair at God's house, you're not doing it. He says, you're stealing. You're stealing. Well, wait a second. 
No, you're stealing. But if you replace your carpet every 25 years and you replace the church's carpet every 75 years, you're stealing. It's God's house. Show respect. Show the same respect you show your own house. Ignoring the needing. Isaiah 58, 7. Deal thy bread to the hungry. Cover him that is naked. How about unmerited welfare? People that take welfare and are pretending. That's stealing. And then finally, inferior quality. That's doing half a job. Or not doing the quality. I think you're stealing if you show up late to work. I think you're stealing if you leave early. I think you're stealing if you take 40 minutes of lunch when you're only allowed 30 minutes. Here's one I'll really step on your toes. I think you're stealing if you take 30 minutes to witness for Christ. Yeah, but that's doing God's work. You're not getting paid to witness for Christ. No, if you're in a job where you're painting and you can talk when you're painting, that's, that's a whole different story. Yesterday, Deborah and I, we were doing dishes together and we were, doing di- and we were talking as we were doing dishes. I understand you can talk then, but if you're taking away from the work that the person's paying you, you're stealing. You're not getting paid to witness. Witnessing is great. Do it at lunchtime. Do it on your break. Do it before work. Do it after work. Or if there's a job that's manual labor and you can do it, that, that's great. But if your, 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 your boss is paying you, you're stealing. I thought only if I take the posted notes and the pens from my desk at work and bring them home, that's stealing. No, if you come in 10 minutes late and don't stay 10 minutes late to make up for it, you've stole. Uh, giving a half effort, Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do it, do with thy might. I service, Ephesians 6.5, Colossians 3.22. That's working when the boss is looking, not working when he's not looking or doing half, half. That's stealing, y'all. And then also lazy, Romans 12.11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit as serving the Lord. You know that phrase there? I want to serve my boss as if God was my boss. That's serving the Lord. That is the testimony you want to give of a Christian in the workplace. I'm going to work hard. Let's talk about stealing. There's actually a hierarchy in stealing. You think, really? Yeah, yeah, there is. If I were to go to, um, let's go to Proverbs 6.30. It says, men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy satisfy his soul when he is hungry. You think, well, is it wrong to steal? Yeah, it's wrong to steal. If you're hungry and you steal, is that wrong? Yeah, that's wrong too. But most people, if someone steals when they're just hungry, you're going to let it go. So that is a sin, and we should avoid it, but that is a hierarchy. Let's go to 629, he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, toucheth her, shall not be innocent. You know, there's no grace there. We're going back to the adultery one. So there's times where you give grace, there's times when you don't. But stealing is still wrong. Proverbs 632, who committeth adultery, lacketh understanding, destroy his soul. Let's go to the heart for a second. These are both in 1 Corinthians 6. I want to read 8 and 10. Basically, this is an issue of the heart. Having a food and raiment, let us therewith content. How can I nip stealing in the bud? And the answer is contentment. It's a real evasive thing. But if you can get to a point where you are thankful for what you got, 
and you can love the things you have, the stealing is not nearly the temptation. So we're fixing the heart to keep from the stealing. Cut off the hand. I know, but if you still want stuff, you haven't fixed anything. And, and here it is in First Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of all evil. And I know a lot of times that's what's quoted. It says money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It says the love of money. There's no sin in having money. It's a sin in just wanting money and it just drives everything you do. It's not a sin to work hard. But it is a sin to work all that overtime so you get the money and you ignore your wife and children while you're doing it. See, that's a love of money. We're talking about fixing the heart. So I pray that we can get to a point where if there's something, I just have to have it. Okay, there's the, the most latest video game. I just have to have this game. You buy it for them? Do you think you've really quenched it? And the answer is no, you haven't quenched it. Why? Because the new one will come out in two weeks, two months. And then you gotta have that one. So, so, so how do you fix it? Contentment. Do, do a chore that actually accomplishes something. So, so let's, let, let's like take two teenage boys. Let's, let's suppose the brand new video game came out and he works and he stays up all night and he spends the whole weekend and finally after sitting in front of that tube all day Friday, all Friday night after school and all day Saturday and put another eight hours, put another couple hours in on Sunday afternoon and finally gets to level six. Yay! You guys are laughing. Look, the saddest, I got to level six. As opposed to that same child that went in his garage and actually built something like a go-kart or, or, or something like that and, and, and wrestled through the technical difficulties and figured something out and how to adjust a carburetor and gets that thing running and all and, and compare, got to level eight or six or whatever number it was versus I made that. And that's a skill that'll be very valuable for later on. Or maybe helping someone else. Level six versus helping an older member that's uh, been laid up for a while or, or, or something like that. It's just, it's just no comparison. And if the heart can be fixed, so those things float your boat versus level six, that's how you're going to fix the wants. Galatians 5, we're coming to the end. In Galatians 5.14, here's kind of a summary. Notice what it says. All the law is fulfilled in this. What's the law? Graven images, name in vain, Remember the Sabbath, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not bear false witness. All the law is fulfilled in what? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now here was a guy, Judas. He was the treasurer for the disciples. And one day some ointment was given and it was used to anoint Jesus Christ and he got really, really offended. How dare you use this oil to not, you could have used this money to give to the poor. Notice what it says about him. It says, he said that, but he didn't really care for the poor. He said it because he was a thief. He had sticky fingers. He was taking out of the bag. That was his motive. Notice, in James 2.8, it says, fulfill the royal law. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And I've made this point, oh, at least a dozen times since I've been here. But there's three levels of this love. 
The first is to love thy neighbor as thyself. And I usually liken it to a high jump. In high school, I jumped, I was a high jumper. And the opening height in high school is 5'6". That's the first place where they put the bar. So everybody jumps and jumps and clears 5'6". And you go, wow, 5'6". Now back then it wasn't too bad to clear. If you asked me to do it in my 60s, no way, Jose. And I'm looking at 5'6 right now and I'm going, I can't do that. That's hard. Well, that's what I feel about James 2.8. Fulfill the world. Love the neighbor as herself. I can't do that because I love myself a lot. And I got to love my neighbor as I love myself. That's a pretty high bar. Well, when you're in the Lord, you can do it. When you're in your teens, you can do it. But when you're in the flesh, as things start breaking down, it's really hard. But then God says, no, 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 no. Five, six isn't enough. And then they move it up in three-inch increments, and you go to five, nine, and then you go to six foot. So now let's say we're at six foot. Well, this is this next command. Philippians 2, 3, In lowliness of mind, let us esteem each other better than ourselves. Now, wait a second. I haven't cleared five, six yet, and you already raised it to six foot. Not only did I love my neighbor as myself, I got to love them better than myself. I'm still trying to get to the five, six, and you're asking me to jump six foot. But you know what Jesus does? He goes and raises it another six inches. This is in John 13, 34. It says, love one another as I have loved you. So there's as myself, better than myself, and as Jesus loved. Now all of a sudden we go, Jesus, hold off. I, I'm still working on five, six. Maybe I've got six foot in sight, but this six, six, there's no way I can do that. Well, you know what? There is no way you can do that without the Holy Spirit. You need the Lord. And you need the Lord working on your heart. You're not going to do it with a to-do list. You're not going to do it with a bunch of commandments. You're not going to do it with a bunch of rules and guidelines that you're going to follow. The only way you're going to do it is through the motivation of love. That's the only way it's going to happen. I got a quote. I read something this week, and it was by a fellow named Peter Wallace. He's a preacher I, I heard online as I was looking some things up. And I want you to listen to this for a second. Jesus valued people and to use things to love people. Judas valued things and he used people to love things. I thought that was really profound. Y'all, that's the difference between rules and love. Let me read it one more time. Jesus valued people. He used things to love people, the bread and the fishes. Judas valued things and he used people to love things. What's your affection on? People or the things? If you make a lot of money, I, I hope you make a lot of money. I have all I need. Contentment. I want to use my extra to help others. It's going to be pretty hard to steal and to lie and to covet when that's your motive. So we're working on our art again. 